Well, as the kids leave, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Tony Weedle. Uh, often you'll find me back in the sound booth. Um, and so if you uh, ever want to file a grievance against how loud it is or how quiet it is or whatever the case may be, that's where you can find me uh, after the service. But I'm married to my wife, Erin. Uh, we have two daughters this year, so that's something new in my family. Uh, we've always had Isabella with us. Uh, she's a freshman in high school, but this year uh, from the southwest part of France, we have Sarah staying with us. She's a foreign exchange student, um, and so we're thrilled to have her uh, staying with us this year as well. So how many of you here uh, this morning had New Year's resolutions? Anybody? A couple, few hands. All right, anybody like me and 11 hours in, you've already failed to keep the resolution. All right, thank you. Thank you. I was back in the sound booth. We had Jet. Didn't Jet do a great job on that solo this morning? Yeah, praise God. And there was a little bit of feedback, and I already broke one of my resolutions as I was back there trying to chase, chase that out. Well, on a serious note this morning for me, one of my resolutions is that I want to experience and encounter more of God's peace in 2023. Throughout most of last year, I've, many times I felt overwhelmed with all the pressures of life, and I've been missing out on the joy and the satisfaction in life that only comes from God's peace. So as I thought about what to share this morning, I thought I would study uh, and work on a message that I personally needed to hear. And my prayer this morning is that maybe there is a nugget of truth along the way um, that might apply to your life. As I thought about finding peace, one of the uh, my mind went back to a Thursday morning coffee I had several years ago. On Thursday mornings, you'll find me at Craft Coffee, and um, I was there, and we were having a normal coffee, and somebody walked in um, and started an impromptu conversation, which happens a lot in coffee shops. And as we had the conversation, uh, the person I was having coffee with asked the visitor uh, this question. They said, uh, what does success look like in your life? What does success look like? The visitor paused just briefly, and then he said, for me, it's simple. The visitor said this, success for me is inner peace. Now, I probably had a dumbfounded look on my face because I was expecting a much different kind of an answer, but that was the answer that he provided, inner peace. When I think about success, I most often think about success as the American dream. I think about a nice house or a nice car or healthy savings account or fancy trips or whatever it might be. You know those things that we can measure in our neighbor or measure in ourself. That's often what I think about success. And yet this person that I encountered at Craft Coffee suggested for him that success was inner peace. So with this story as our backdrop this morning, our scripture passage comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. It's here that the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Philippi, and he is prescribing for them how to best live in and experience God's peace. I'm challenged with this idea of living my life from an abundance of God's peace. I ask questions like, what are the markers associated with God's peace? If, if peace is my goal, how do I live my life towards that goal? How can I begin to put into words what is going on inside of me? Well, this morning I think Paul outlines for us a few things for us to consider as we encounter God's peace. So let's read God's word together. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, 
my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eudia and I plead with sympathy to be of the same mind. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, whatever uh, is pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Blessed be the reading of God's word. All right, so let's dive into this passage together. The first point that Paul raises for us when asking the question, how do we encounter the peace of God in 2023, is to stand firm in the Lord. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. Well, how are we supposed to stand firm? Well, verse uh, 1 starts out with therefore, so we've got to go back into chapter 3, back a page in our Bibles to see uh, what is happening, because Paul has made a conclusion. And if we go back to verse 18, it says, for as as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be more like his glorious body. You see, we're to stand firm in the Lord because the world is telling us a much different story. The world is telling us that the American dream is what we want. Like we just read about in Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells us the world's destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Those who don't stand firm in the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ have built their homes on a foundation that isn't secure and will be easily tossed away by the waves. Paul is telling us in chapter 4, verse 1, that we need to stand firm in the Lord. Nate, there's some ringing up here. Can you just turn me down a little bit? I would really appreciate that. Thank you. I'll just talk louder. So how many people uh, know the show Duck Dynasty? Anybody? Duck Dynasty. So the patriarch of that show is uh, Phil Robertson. And back in 2012, he was interviewed by GQ magazine, and he was asked a question about what is sinful. Now, of course, Phil, he was being set up by the reporter's question for his Christian values, but this is what Paul said. He said, or this is what Phil said, excuse me. 
He said, what's sinful? He said, in God's eyes, he said, it's neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. None of those will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he said. Now then, as you can probably imagine, popular culture absolutely flipped out about his response. And because of his response to the question, the Duck Dynasty show was canceled for a while, and then it was allowed to come back on the air, but Phil was never allowed to be back on the show. And unless, A&E told him, unless you apologize, which he refused. And the reason he refused is because he answered the question from the reporter with a direct quote from Scripture. That was 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And while Phil faced enormous pressure to apologize for his homophobic response, he refused. He said he lost somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million. Now, I realize for him, $10 million is probably like $100 to me. Okay, so there's a little bit of a different uh, scale. But still lost a lot of money. The thing is, is that Phil stood firm in the Lord, and in a subsequent interview, he shared that he found God's peace along the way. Now then, I want to be clear, I'm not advocating for Phil's abrupt and often very crass disposition in life, nor am I advocating for a lot of what he has to say for that matter. I'm merely using this as an example of a man who stood up with Scripture, stood firm in the Lord, and he found peace along the way. The first of our six covenant affirmations here in the Evangelical Covenant Church is this, is that the Holy Scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, are the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. Essentially, the affirmation is saying that the Bible teaches us everything that we need to know. This affirmation is rooted in Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, that the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's from this basis, it's from the foundation of God's word that we can begin to stand firm in the Lord. Now I know what you might be thinking, thanks a whole lot, Tony, thanks for sharing the obvious with me. We need to stand firm in the Lord. But here's the thing, I need to be reminded about those obvious things from time to time. I can get caught up in all that this world has to offer and I forget where my true identity comes from. I forget that I am chosen by God, that I am wanted by God, and that I am created by God. If I want to encounter more of God's peace, then I need to stand firm in how I was created in the first place. Comfort and peace can only be found by resting in the promises of Scripture. So how do we encounter God's peace? First, we've got to stand firm in the Lord. The second thing we need to do is we need to reject conflict. We need to avoid conflict. As we continue reading in our text from Philippians, we come to a conflict between two women. In verse 2 it says, I plead with you, Eudia, and I plead with Syncathy to be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul seems to especially care about these women because they struggled alongside him to carry out the important work of the gospel. So after working so hard with them, Paul is grieved that they're having this conflict. Reject conflict. Well, how are we supposed to reject conflict in this world that we live in? Conflict seems to be everywhere, doesn't it? It's in our jobs, it's in our schools, it's in the media, it's in politics. Good grief, is it in social media? I mean, conflict is everywhere. 
And dare I say, conflict is even inside the church. Paul is saying, what I, what I believe is that Paul isn't saying that we should run and avoid all kinds of conflict or else we would have to bury our heads in the sand, right? Because the world that we live in is broken. There's going to be conflict and we're going to encounter it. What I do believe that Paul is wanting us to avoid is conflict within the family of God at all costs. Why is that? Because we are co-workers for the gospel. Our struggle to share the good news of Jesus Christ to a broken world should unite us and not divide us. Our common mission should bring us closer together. And anything that brings harm to the community of God is a significant threat to that gospel message. As I prepared this message, I got to wondering what these ladies were even feuding about in the first place. They were likely not feuding about something essential because Paul wasn't very shy in his letters in the scriptures, was he? We even read out of 1 Corinthians a little bit ago about what is sinful, and Paul wasn't shy. So I just got to wonder, what are they feuding about? And I bet it was something simple, probably maybe how their hair should or shouldn't be braided, or maybe uh, what kind of jewelry they should or shouldn't wear, or maybe whether or not a Christmas tree was in their home or not, right? I think they were feuding about something simple like those things. When I think about conflict within the church, I think about learning to ride a bicycle. When you're learning to ride a bike, there are some essential things that you need to know. And they're very basic. You need to know what the pedals are and what direction you need to turn them, and you need to know how to stop. Everything else isn't essential. Sure, training wheels are going to be important, but they're not essential. I would agree that different gears on a bike may help you climb a hill, but they're not essential. I agree that uh, brakes are essential, but it doesn't matter if they're pedal brakes or if they're handle brakes, right? I believe that tires are essential, but, but whether they're skinny tires or treaded tires, again, those things don't matter. The point here is, is that there are few critical elements, a few critical things that you need to know about how to ride a bike. And the rest of it might be worth knowing and could even potentially be helpful, but it's not mission critical to the task of riding a bike. When we think of theological issues, I think we need to have a similar approach. There are certainly core issues to our faith that we need to agree on. And even the early church had these kinds of discussions and debate. If you're bored sometime, look up the subtle and yet important differences in the Nicene Creed between the years of 325 and 381. It was there where the early church was having a debate on uh, what are the core tenets of our faith. And summarized in Tony's language, uh, we believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We believe that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. We believe that Jesus came down to, to fix this pitful mess that we made for ourselves, right? These are the core tenets to our faith. What Paul is telling us is that conflict outside of these eternal issues needs to be put to bed. Quit quarreling about hymns versus contemporary music or as we're about to, to have communion, whether the blood of Jesus should be represented as grape juice or real wine, right? These are the kinds of conflicts that we need to avoid. Sadly, I'm afraid that what most often divides us are not the core issues of our faith. Paul is saying for us to put that conflict aside because it doesn't truly matter. In fact, Paul is worried that that conflict is harming our common mission in the world and it's harming our ability to experience God's peace.
So if we're going to encounter God's peace in 2023, first we said we're going to stand firm in the Lord. Second, we said we're going to reject conflict. And the third thing that we need to do is rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. When something is repeated in the Bible, we must pay special attention to it. Here, Paul has repeated it back to back. We need to rejoice. How do we encounter God's peace? We rejoice always. We have to remove the negativity in our lives. We need joy. This is probably the hardest one for me. So what is joy? When we think of joy, we should think of joy as a supernatural delight in the person, purposes, and people of God. Let me say that again. When we think about joy, we have to think about it as though it is a supernatural delight in the person, purposes, and people of God. Joy is an outflow of our relationship with the person of God. That's the joy that we find in our quiet times with Him. Then we need to think of joy in the purposes of God, the joy that we find in the Holy Scriptures when we realize that God has a better way for us, that His promises are better, that His promises are in fact true. Then out of an outflow of that joy, it is seen in the people of God, the community right here at Countryside Covenant Church, gathered here this morning, coming together to worship and to share the love of Jesus to a broken world. It's from this backdrop that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says, I will say it again, rejoice. For those of you who have been here at Countryside for a while, the name Sandy Wheeler might ring a bell. Sandy was um, married to Randy Wheeler, and they attended church here a while back. One day, Sandy uh, woke up, and she couldn't talk. She lost her ability to talk. And through a bunch of testing, she was ultimately diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS. That's the disease that attacks your ability to control your voluntary muscles. When I think of joy, I immediately think of Sandy Wheeler. She couldn't talk. And yet she came to church and she'd have a notepad or she would have a tablet so that she could communicate with us. And her eyes were big and her smile was big and the joy of the Lord was clearly found inside of her. And as this disease continued to attack her body, the joy still remained. She had and found God's peace. Paul is telling us this morning that even though we live in a dark and broken world, God's peace is available and it comes from an outflow of the joy that we have in our heart. Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, so if we're going to encounter God's peace, first we said we're standing firm in the Lord, second we're rejecting conflict, third we're rejoicing always, and fourth we have to reject unreasonableness. Or said differently, we must be reasonable. We must be gentle. In verse 5 of our text, Paul says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Who should we let our gentleness be evident to? Paul tells us that we should let our gentleness be evident to all. In each and every circumstance, in each and every reaction, we must let our gentleness be evident to those whom we encounter. And why do we do that? Because the Lord is is near. I mess this up all the time. In fact, as I outlined this message and um, I was uh, wanting to put some illustrations in, I, I came to this point and I mean time and time again, I was like, yep, messed up this here, yep, messed it up here, messed it up here, messed it up here. I mean, I could bore you today with illustrations, but I think the one that makes uh, 
that fits in the best here was when I was actually preparing this message. I was working on it over the lunch hour at work, and I've got two monitors on my computer. And one had my email up, and one had the Word document of my outline for this message. And I was working away, and I was working on this very point. And so at the top of the screen, it said, be gentle, reject unreasonableness. And so I'm working on it, and an email pops up. And I get pretty grouchy right away because I already don't like the subject line. And so instead of being smart and focusing on my outline, I opened up the email. And the contents of the email didn't make me any happier. I can just tell you. So I turned around, I picked up the phone, I called this person's supervisor, and I mean, I gave him the what for. I told him what I thought about it, I told him I didn't care for the actions, and I could go on and on. I won't bore you with the details. But when I was done, I slammed the receiver of the phone down, my cheeks were red, I was flushed with anger, my blood pressure was up, I turn around and I look on my computer screen, and it says, reject unreasonableness. Be gentle. Wow. Of course, I thought I had found peace. I thought I had found vindication when I was talking with that supervisor, but I really didn't. So I turned back around and I picked up the phone and I called the supervisor, who actually is a Christian as well. And I shared with him what I was doing and what I was working on. And uh, he said, I think you found an illustration for your sermon. I said, I think you're right. I said, I think you're right. All throughout life, every single day, we have a choice to reject unreasonableness and to be gentle. We have a choice to be reasonable, and it's important because the Lord is near. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul reminds us that our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit, and an outflow of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit living inside each one of us is God's peace. It's God's gentleness. So as we look for markers to encounter God's peace, we're standing firm in the Lord, we're rejecting conflict, we're rejoicing always, we're being gentle and reasonable, and the fifth thing that we should do is to posture, uh, to posture ourselves for inner peace is to not be anxious. Well, that's easy to say, but quite, uh, quite hard to do, isn't it? In verse 6, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, what does anxious mean? The word for anxious here means that uh, we're to not have a dividing care, that, our, that we shouldn't have our interests divided. In other words, on the one hand, we know that God is going to provide for our situations, but on the other hand, we're desperately trying to control the situation. Let me give you an example. Uh, I told you uh, in the introduction, Sarah is staying with us from France. Uh, in the Weedle family, we believe in giving you the full American experience if you come to this country. And so uh, Sarah got to ride in an ambulance and she got to see the inside of an ER because she was involved in a uh, side-by-side accident. Uh, and it rolled over and as it rolled over, she reached out to catch herself and she broke her arm. And uh, thankfully she was okay, a few scrapes and bumps along the way, but, uh, but she had a broken arm. And the, and the ER doctor said, Tony, uh, we can't fix this. We're, she's going to have to see a pediatric surgeon uh, because where she broke her bones, she had like this much left of her radius right here, and then the rest, and then it broke right there. And so, of course, this happens on a Friday. Um, so we've got a girl 
uh, from France with a broken arm all through the weekend. And, and so the surgeon we referred to, we called the surgeon on Monday, and the surgeon's office uh, wasn't very easy to work with. And so we began to get frustrated, and they said, well, we probably can't see her till at least Friday, but there's another problem. Sarah doesn't have comprehensive medical insurance, and so she's got travel insurance. And with travel insurance, you've got to pay for everything up front, and now I'm starting to do the math in my head and thinking this is going to be a twenty dollars or $30,000 situation. How are we going to come up with this kind of money? And I, as you can see, Aaron and I's anxiety began to build and build and build and build. Well, let me fast forward to the end of the story. Sarah got the surgery that she needed. And it was because she went to a surgeon who advocated for her. Would you believe that in Wichita, Kansas, the pediatric surgeon that we went to spoke fluent French? What are the odds? Fluent French. And, and that was amazing. The other thing the surgeon said, after looking at her arm and looking at the x-rays, he said, this girl needs surgery right away. You don't need to pay me up front. And by the way, I'm going to call the surgery center and I'm going to tell them, it's okay. You can wait for your payment. This girl's got travel insurance. It's covered. And so... They didn't require Sarah's family to come up with $30,000 or so up front. And probably the most providential thing, this doctor, you know, when you have surgery, it's not so much you having surgery, but when, it's, when you're there with a loved one and the surgeon comes in to talk to you after the surgery, you all have maybe been there, and what do they do? They walk in and they say, hey, everything went great with your loved one, no problems, see you in my office next week. And before you even get to ask a question, you see their backside as they're off to do the next case, right? I mean, they are just in and out right away. And it's because they're busy. Well, this surgeon sat down. We were able to video call Sarah's mom. And he spent the next 15 minutes speaking with her in French. Because with medical stuff, there's a lot of stuff that can be lost in translation. She speaks a little bit of English. My English isn't very good either, so it's not a very good combination, <laughs> right? And so they sat there and spoke back and forth in French for about 15 minutes. And he took all the time necessary, right, to make sure that she was comforted and cared for and understood that her daughter here in the United States was well taken care of. Friends, I got to tell you, God provided and to think, Aaron and I almost fired that surgeon before he had a chance to get started. In our anxiety, in our desire to want to have control over the situation, we about missed out on the perfect provision of God. Anxiety is something that paralyzes us. And for Aaron and I, we were anxious about her care. We were divided about her care. On the one hand, like I said, we knew God would provide. But on the other hand, we were desperately wanting to control the outcome. We, messed, we nearly messed it up. Now, I want to be very clear about something this morning. I want to be very clear. Anxiety is a real thing, and sometimes medicine or therapy or counseling or a combination of all of that is required. I believe those things are important and necessary. I'm not discounting any of that. What I'm suggesting this morning is, what I believe the Apostle Paul is suggesting to us this morning is that overcoming our anxiety, even the small anxieties in our life, opens the door for us to encounter God's peace. 
Personally, I get most anxious when I look at the past and, and I, I begin to get hurt or feel slighted or become pessimistic knowing that things aren't going to work out in my favor. Or I get too busy focused on the future and, and trying to control everything like I did with Sarah's surgery. And I want everything to be just perfect so if I can just control everything that's going to happen tomorrow, life's going to be okay. I get so worn out by all of the motivational speakers that tell me time and time again that the future is the most important part of your life. That is what you need to focus on. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that I believe the now is the most important part of the story. I believe the past no longer matters. I believe the future is less important for the now. What's happening here today is all that is needed to fulfill our deepest desires. It's because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is here, living inside of us, giving us everything that we need. The Spirit doesn't want us to be anxious. The Spirit doesn't want us to have this kind of dividing care that we've been talking about. The Holy Spirit wants us to experience peace. So if we're going to encounter God's peace in 2023, first we said we're standing firm in the Lord. Second, we said we're rejecting conflict. Third, we said we're rejoicing always. Fourth, we said we're going to be gentle and reasonable. Fifth, we're going to try to avoid anxiety at all costs. And the sixth and final posture then is that we are going to be prayerful and thankful in all situations. The second half of verse 6 says, But in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We're to be a people of prayer. We're to be thankful to God for all that He has done in our lives and all that He is going to do in our lives. We're to have relationship with Him. We need to let Him know what our desires are, what our concerns are, what we're looking for in this life. God wants to hear each and every one of those things. I don't know about you, but the higher my anxiety gets, the lower my prayer life becomes. When I was anxious about Sarah, my prayer life was absolute junk. Uh, worry and anxiety consumed me. I wasn't hardly praying at all. It wasn't until I listened to Sarah's surgeon talking to her mom on that video call that I began to reflect. Now, there's nothing brilliant on my part. The reason I was reflecting is because two people in the room were speaking French, and I have absolutely no idea how to speak French. And they did this for 15 minutes. And so finally, that was the pause I needed. That was the time I needed to reflect. And I soon discovered that my anxiety was in overdrive, I had no peace, I had no prayer life, and I certainly wasn't being thankful to God. In order to experience peace, we have to be in daily prayer, thanking God, sharing our concerns, supplicating or petitioning for others, right? And just being in a deep, meaningful relationship. I hope you learn this morning from my mistakes. I starved myself of God's peace for a week because I gave in to my own worries and my own anxieties, and I failed to remain devoted to Him. So you might be wondering, if I do these six things that we've been talking about, will I experience and encounter God's peace? And my simple answer to that question is yes, because God's Word says so. 
God's promises are true. And in verse 7, here comes the promise of God. Paul says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul says. He says it's the peace of God. Peace is defined as the calm assurance that what God is doing is best in your life. Peace is the calm assurance that what God is doing is best in your life. Peace is not suggesting that life is going to be easy, because if the rest of Scripture is true, more than likely your life is not going to be easy. Peace is saying that God's way, God's way is best. When I think of peace, Jake read this earlier and I'm going to read it again, John chapter 14, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was letting them know to not let their hearts be troubled. It's here in John that Jesus sums up everything that we've been talking about. And I want to read just the last half of it again for us. John 14, verse 26, Jesus promises the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When God says he's going to give us peace, he means it. He doesn't give as the world gives, but God gives as the creator of the world gives. He doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. He gives us his peace. We simply just need to posture ourselves to receive it. Back in Philippians chapter 4, at the end of verse 9, Paul makes this promise to us, and he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says that the God of peace will be with us if we put into practice what he's been talking about. In verse 8, he says we need to focus on our lives on whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. If anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, then we should think about those things. And those things will give us peace. Paul says that whatever you have learned or received from him, put it into practice. We've learned that we've got to stand firm in the Lord, that we are to uh, reject conflict and rejoice always and be gentle and avoid anxiety and be prayerful in all things. In these things, Paul says we will experience peace. He says it two times. And when things are repeated, we've already said it, we've got to pay special, special attention. At the end of verse 9, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. And in verse 7, he says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but in 2023, I need to experience more of God's peace. I want to find the kind of success that the visitor at the coffee shop had. I want to have an inner peace that is screaming out, that is taking charge, and that is leading and guiding my life. I want to invite Pastor Jeremy to come on up. Um, we get to start this new year out with uh, communion. Uh, we get to come to the Lord's table together, um, and we get to remember. Last week on Sunday, we got to celebrate uh, Jesus' birth, Emmanuel, God with us. And today, because we have the advantage of knowing the rest of the story. We know that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. 
He spent that time teaching us everything that we needed to know. He made sure everything would be in this book and recorded so that we could live a life of righteousness. We come to this table knowing that he ultimately died because of the pitiful mess that we've made in this world so that we could spend eternity with him. Pastor Jeremy. Thanks, Tony.